Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds from the 70s with Gary and Rob, sometimes referred to as the white man's huggy bear. Shuggy, oh, white man's huggy bear. <laughs> <laughs> you see, I got you on that one. And you're the white man's huggy bear, better than being the white man's uh, Captain Dopey. Yeah, I guess it is. Well, it is. I Somehow think. I'm, you know, surviving on the street and I'm still cool. Dolby's not cool. No, he just yells. Yeah. He's just, <laughs> oh, he's angry 24 7. Snarsky! That's, that's my impersonation. I'll do it again. I know I wrecked up the whole uh, spiel, which I've, I've never done before, but I interrupt the whole, the whole spiel of the line. But I got to do this again and in case anybody missed it and, and just dropped in late. Starsky! <laughs> okay, here we go. Damn. So we're coming to you from a shack down by the river, as usual. Uh, with a river very, shack. With the, uh, very little power and... Uh, amenities. Yeah. Yeah, no I was, amenities. I was going to say I can, but that's, uh, <laughs> that's a good one. Now, to be honest with you, Rob, I have to be honest with you. Right off the bat, we just came back from a short break. And you may be saying to yourself, hey, hey, man, just the other week you had a new episode and then you're saying you went on vacation? That's impossible. Yes, that's Mm -hmm. true. But those episodes were... uh, Long. Long. They were long episodes. (laughs) That's why. But those episodes in the new year that we actually put were actually taped in 1994. Uh, They never aired because we thought the theme... And shows were too weak to put on the air. Yeah, so those have been in the can for over 25 yeah, years. Yeah, we did. We, yeah, 25, we stored them away in our sealed vault in case we wanted to take a little break. And we did take a break. We uh, did. Now, Rob, you went to the Virgin Islands for two weeks. I did. And you found no virgins. No virgins. But, but plenty of policemen following him around. Because you, you people have to remember... That he does look like an unreformed pedophile. Apparently, tourists that look like me have a bad reputation. (laughs) (laughs) But since Rob isn't a pedophile, they just locked him up for a few days on a couple of uh, drug-related charges. It was trumped up. Trumped up. I don't think it was. (laughs) (laughs) I, on the other hand, on our break, was supposed to finish work editing our jabbering episodes. I said jabbering jabbering coming this year very soon soon for youtube but i uh, had a little problem with my computer as i told rob oh, uh, yeah. i decided to clean my computer screen with windex which I've, i in all honesty rob i've done like a zillion times 50 times at least yeah. but uh it didn't it didn't it wasn't kosher this time <laughs> this time it didn't take <laughs> it didn't take <laughs> which cost me money and two weeks of waiting until the guy as I call him, found another one, which he did. And but it wasted all my time. It wasted all the time I was supposed to do work editing. So it was no computer for two weeks. That's insane. You need a backup computer. I'm just saying. I actually have a computer, but I can't set it up. First of all, I can't set it up because I don't have the room. Because I have a whole room full of stuff that I can't unpack, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. as we all know. Yeah. Plus. My computer that I have, the main computer, the the mother of all computers. The power. Yes. It is full of viruses that I I would like to set up and get rid of, but I can't set it up. 
It's all a catch-22 situation. <laughs> so uh, all I was stuck with for two weeks was like a, a tablet, which I borrowed from my mom that she has. And okay. uh, I, I phoned her and said, could I use your tablet? And she said, when you do, scare up your laptop. <laughs> yes. Um, so it was quite an eventful vacation, but fun. And uh, I like I like playing with the people's perception of when we do the shows because we don't. They're all harem scarem all over the place. <laughs> they really are. And it's like we think we have a schedule, and all of a sudden I'll get sick for two weeks, and then Rob will get sick yeah. for two weeks, and then it just throws everything all all hurly burly. Can we, I say that on the air? We are the kings of rescheduling. They uh, the other thing I set up a little thing at the shack where we have to like write down our times for when we're showing up. Yeah, we do. We have to. We have to book time here. Yeah, just because we keep canceling. Yeah. Anyways, I like saying early, early. On today's episode, we have a new theme. Rob, you know that. A new theme. And that is jazz guitarists from oh, the nineteen seventies, yeah. because Rob cannot get enough jazz. I had already put that out of my mind. <laughs> Strange, isn't it? Uh, if Rob had one jazz album to listen to every year, that would be one jazz album too many. <laughs> it might be two jazz albums too many. <laughs> two jazz. He'd only listen to the one jazz album and figure out the other one. You know what? Uh, if uh, it feels like I listen to two. <laughs> But I'm still impartial. I like jazz. I don't love it, but I like it. And uh, we're going to see how this works out. Uh, we're going to have to see how this works out because every year we're going to be doing this because we have bass jazz albums to do. We have drum jazz albums to do. We have piano jazz albums to do. Uh, jazz is going to be the end of us, I think. I think it will. Yeah. I, think, I think in the future for jazz albums, I'm just going to phone in my performance. <laughs> just... Loved it. <laughs> can't get enough of that jazz <laughs> we will be reviewing on this show the 1978 double live album from George Benson called Weekend in LA uh, a little later in the show you know what's funny we did we played a little bit of we had a rehearsal last night we played a little jazz last night we did I, uh, now we called it jazz but actually it was more like uh Tuning with the uh, with the amps on, <laughs> yeah. Mostly uh, when the jazz guys are playing, even they know what chords they're going over, but not us. We explore strange musical wilderness. Oh yeah, we were yeah. we were actually tuning. Uh, <laughs> when we tune, we we like to call it jazz. That'd be a great album title. Uh, uh, tuning with the amps on. <laughs> tuning tuning jazz, man. We can start a whole new musical genre. Anyways, it sounded like jazz. No, not yet. No, still on <laughs> Okay. Uh, see, we've already annihilated all the all the jazz people out there. That's right. Now we're just gonna have non-jazz people, so they'll respect our. Uh, let me. Let me just. Let me. I gotta. I gotta say something. Can I, I say something? In, in all. In all seriousness. As in a all comic? seriousness. As a comic. In all seriousness, <laughs> as a comic. Uh, there is. Uh, there's kind of like two types of. Uh, uh, of jazz people like there's there's the people who really really love jazz and don't listen to anything else god help them uh and that's about three percent of the population of the world and about the rest of the people i swear to god even if you mention the word jazz they get violently angry <laughs> <laughs> why does jazz have such a bad rap 
among the non-jazz folk? What's it done that's so dangerous? See, other people go, you know, I'm not, I'm not really into like a country, or they say, oh, I'm not into that heavy rock and roll, and you know, they're kind of blasé about it. But when it comes to jazz, it's like, it's like, hey, do you like jazz? And then they, all of a sudden, they got your their their hand around your neck, <laughs> jazz, <to> choke you, <laughs> or or more often they just they just. Suddenly, uh, you know, you, you turn away from them and then you turn back and they're gone. <laughs> he just lost a friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but well, jazz gets a lot of, of uh, ridicule in the in the music world. But you know what? <laughs> I can only speak for me. But I like jazz. I don't like all of it. Like I said, I, I, I don't like all of it. It's not our first uh, love. Uh, it may not even be our 44th. Nope. But I can actually listen to jazz and like it. The problem I have is what Rob said last time when we were doing jazz was, um, and it's a strange thing maybe for some people, but uh, we like to remember things and we can never remember the melodies or anything from the jazz. And I guess for a person brought up on on melody and stuff like that. It's important yeah. to us to try and remember what we just heard. I think when I listen to this one, there's usually something I can attach to the song. And I got no things to attach to these songs. Yeah. I, I have no qualms against jazz, actually. Uh, I even like 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 some of the way out stuff by Coltrane. I really like that stuff. But there are some... Uh, I actually have a, a, a thing against kind of like uh, very weak jazz, like uh, like cocktail jazz. jazz. Yeah, I like light jazz. And then I like it some of it too, like Chet Baker. I like I like moody jazz, but I don't like cocktail jazz. I just don't... I don't like cocktail jazz. And... Uh, the cocktail jazz is meant to not be listened to. Yes, it's meant to be in the background. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <clears throat> and that's the only jazz... <clears throat> I can. It, it all depends. I just. I always remember the time that me and Rob were in the car. Remember, and I had the the public station on, and I went to go get gas. And I don't know where we were going. I have no idea where we were going. Well, we just we went places. We were just going places. We were just going places. And uh, none of this, the jazz that we were listening to on the station, because that's is what the public radio station was playing at the time. It was like the jazz hour, and it was like nothing. It's like oh, it was like so. It was just so boring for us and then I always remember Miles Davis came on uh, and right away I knew what it was because I'm a big Miles Davis fan but Rob right away he went like I like that <laughs> and I, I just smiled and said yeah that's because it's Miles Davis and you know what I mean there is a difference there it's is like a difference. other musical forms there are some people who are exceptional at it a bunch who are good and a bunch more who they, yeah, do it. there are some that it. are brilliant. There are some that are that are good, and there are some that are mediocre. Yeah, uh, and we were listening to a bunch of mediocre stuff, but it was just it just like Rob does not have a a, a great jazz ear, but he knew right away this no. was good jazz. I, this is really good. I remember. I will never forget that because it's it 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 was like. Because I knew what it was, and he was like, yeah, that's really good. And I said, yeah, that's Miles Davis. And he said, yeah. <laughs> that's good jazz. I'm not uh, familiar with too many Miles Davis songs at that point. I think I and then, but the, we both really loved the, the Dark Magus album. Yes. So it's funny how... Of all the jazz albums we've done, that's probably my favorite. And uh, I think John McLaughlin is second favorite. Yeah, yeah. The uh, Mahavishnu Orchestra was really good album. Yeah. I actually liked... 
I can't remember what the other album we did is. Yes, we did one other album we did. We uh, did Return to Forever. We did the Mahavishnu Orchestra. I can't remember. Can you? Return to Forever. We have a producer who can the, 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 the Weather Report was the other one we did in that batch. Yeah, you didn't like that one. I didn't like, I didn't like that one. one at all. I actually liked all three of those albums. I was a little a hard lot. on it. I should have given it a slightly higher rating because I do respect the musicianship. Yeah. You just but couldn't get into it. No, it absolutely yeah. almost nothing stuck with me. So I actually like that was our jazz fusion um, <laughs> theme that we did, yeah. uh, and I actually liked all three of them. I actually <laughs> really liked all, yeah. but especially my favorite was the Mahavishnu Orchestra with John yeah. McLaughlin, and uh, we're, yeah, and uh, that one edged out the other uh, yeah. for me at the. And uh, Return to Forever with Chick Corea was actually yeah, really, was the other really one. good. That was the one you complained about as being, I can't remember anything from it. But I liked it when I listened to it. But I want to yeah. remember it when I think about it, but I can't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, hey, Damn I have that problem jazz. too. I don't know. Just, see, I never hear jazz people who listen to it all the time or play it say that. I think it's uh, more of a person who's not... Uh, uh, a jazz aficionado or person yeah. doesn't listen to jazz much who says things like that but it is it is a legitimate uh, beef or, or it is it, it's, it's a thing I'm actually experiencing yeah it is I, I have to report too. on it I am too it's one of the things that I thought I was all alone when I thought about <laughs> it then Rob voiced his opinion man now now because I went on this jazz rant I think I'm really over time. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> we're cutting the show short. Uh, oh, but I have to ask, since we're talking, uh, speaking of having to listen to jazz, we have to listen to Rob in the same way. <laughs> yeah. So, Rob, tell us about your week. Gosh, what did I do this week? I uh, it was supposed to be working, but uh, there's no work for me right now. Well, you just came back from the Virgin Islands, I remember. Yeah, and um, uh, we're still waiting for contracts, so I'm kind of not working. I'm spending a lot of time uh, down at the library there, and they have a really big section in the um, uh, manga section for uh, uh, graphic That's novels. fantastic stuff. I love to hear that. That's always funny. Odds and ends, lost time is not found again. Now, this week on Odds and Ends, I had to throw away everything, everything that I had planned. Everything, Rob. And do something new? <laughs> everything that I had planned, Rob. Thrown away, will it not? Everything. Oh, hell. (laughs) (laughs) I had planned for this episode because at last night's uh, so called band practice, uh, we had Rob and myself and Uptown Mike and Mike, uh, that downer, and downer, and 50 Picks Carter. And (laughs) (laughs) see, everybody's got a nickname. Isn't that cool? That's the way I always work. And now, other than playing as bad as we possibly could for an hour and a half, which we did, uh, everybody also had to endure my 15-minute tutorial on how to tune a guitar. (laughs) (laughs) It varies in length from practice to practice, but it is always there. (laughs) It's always there. But in the middle of my struggling to tune the guitar, (laughs) Uptown Mike informed us that guitar legend Jeff Beck had passed away yesterday. Now, with that little bit of information, you will know when we take this episode, because it's pretty easy to find out. That's just a little bit of, You'll just to let you know how, how... The separation how, between when the shows are done and when they air. Exactly. Thank you, Rob. And you will know when we, uh, yeah, and then you'll know when we tape this episode. Then you can write it down. You can tell your friends and say, hey, that's when they taped their episode like you asked me. Yeah, <laughs> it has been a, a source of contention and discussion for many of our listeners. Yes, 
<laughs> I get so many letters. We don't want uh, we, we don't want a war. <laughs> so, there's so much division out well, there in the world right now. We don't want to cause any more. We'll attempt to clarify. Uh-huh. But uh, but that's uh, that's uh, you know when I'm when I'm at rehearsal, I'm in another kind of state of mind uh, completely. Uh, but I, I can hear things. I don't know if anybody else gets like this in the band, but when I hear things, it's like, yeah, but I got to practice. I got to practice, you know, and I don't, it doesn't, it, things don't hit me. They, they actually don't hit me. Yep. Yep. But when I got home, it hit me, uh, especially when I started reading the, uh, obituaries of Jeff Beck's life on the internet. And, uh, and I'm, it, it just, it just hit me. It's funny to say that something like that so sudden didn't affect me. I mean, it did a little bit because I was going, "Oh, Jeff Beck is dead." Oh, okay, well, I got to tune this guitar. You know, honestly, I, I'm. Uh, I mean, when business is business, like music is music. Like if, when I got to do music, I got to do music. Anytime that they, like I suffer a personal loss of uh, someone passing away, it doesn't hit me till the next day. Oh yeah, it ha- yeah. That's 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 kind of like, that's kind of <laughs> like this. Plus, I'm in a really, I'm in a really, I got to do this state of mind. If I sat about it and thought about it at practice, yeah. it'd be a bummer. So I kind of, it's not a cool thing, but it, it's a kind of a survival thing. It's I a put man it in the back thing. of my head. Yeah. So I, and then I said, you know what? I got to redo this. I had some things for odds and ends, and I, I have to, you know, say that uh, I have to bring this up because it's important. Because when I was growing up, and even now, but even when I was really young, it was like there was three guitars. There was Clapton, Page, and Beck all the time. Yep. If you wanted to be a rock and roll guitarist, Clapton, Page, and Beck. They were, they were the three that got mentioned every time. And, um, and it's not like... It's not one of those deaths where he's like you're sad because he's young, because Jeff Beck was 78, I think. Uh, he just died yesterday, so I'm just I'm pretty sure I read he was 78. So he, you know, he lived a long, full life and a very full life. So you're not sad because he died at 32, like we have reported yeah. on some things here. But we we unfortunately can't report on everything because so many people die. Because we're in that stage now, which we've talked about before on this show. Yeah, and you realize, boy, there sure were a lot of uh, influential musicians. Yes, uh, <laughs> that has happened since we started this show. Is like, holy smokes, has there been a lot of people that you don't think about until they die, and then you go, oh my god, that person was very important to me. And uh, Jeff Beck, what Jeff Beck was important to almost I think everybody that started out because you go through a certain thing. And one of the th- things about Jeff Beck, of course, he started in the Yardbirds. Uh, as everybody knows and did, you know, A Heart Full of Soul. I didn't know this. This was brought up yesterday that fascinated me, is that Heart Full of Soul has that great opening guitar lick, which is... uh, And then it was brought up yesterday on Rolling Stone about how great his solo was. And I always liked his solo in the middle of the song in Heart Full of Soul. And what he did on that solo is what Kurt Cobain did on Smells Like Teen Spirit was play the first verse of the song. Oh, yeah. So it goes, Dan. And you know what? And I want to tell you. And that's what he plays. He goes, And yet I never noticed it for like 
50 years or 40 years plus, I had never noticed. It, it was an unconscious thing. I probably didn't know. But I never really noticed that he had played just uh, in his own way the first verse or the verses that in that solo. Verse, Kurt yeah. Cobain does that in Smells Like Teen Spirit. If you can remember that, uh, you know. Uh, remember the verse he his solo in smells like teen spirit is actually just the verse solo he, he does the melody of the verse which actually works if you have a really good verse so i found that very ingenious and then you go from the yardbirds like the jeff beck group and the amazing things there but the thing that i don't know if i can speak for rob but i know the thing that caught me was when my brother like, I don't know, 1979 maybe, brought home, like, like it seemed like everybody had listened to it. Even the kids in school, Blow by Blow and Wired. I actually bought Blow by Blow and Wired on cassette. Did you? Because I had to get that. You know, I've, I've only home. heard Wired once because I never had it. Because I swear to God, I used to, I listened to Blow by Blow like a hundred times. And I never got, I knew you had Wired because I saw it. In your cassette thing yeah, when I was I at got your the, place. Yeah, uh, the 90 minute cassette uh, or the, uh, with you just had uh, Blow by Blow on the one side and Wired on the other. We're going to do that album actually. Uh, I decided yesterday that we've had a couple of people pass away and we're, I'm going to change the schedule. I had like the, the next five themes set up and uh, I had the theme set up for after this one, but we're going to change that. We're going to do memorial to some of the people passed away. One of the people, we're going to do Wired. I, I never usually tell anybody what we're going to do, but we're going to do Wired because it's just, and I thought maybe not because Rob has listened to it a lot, but I haven't. Yeah, yeah. As much as I've listened to it, uh, I don't have a whole bunch of memory of it other than I enjoyed listening yeah. to it. Yeah, and I think so. if we're talking about the 70s and, and, and Jeff Beck, to me, it's that jazz fusion period where he did blow by blow. Oh, my God. Because we've ended of love as lovers, the Stevie Wonder song that he does on Blow by Blow. And I think I told Rob this before when we had it on in his house. Because <laughs> I remember we had it on in his house. And I just said, that's, I think that along with Watermelon and Easter Hay by Frank Zappa is one of my favorite guitar, rock guitar instrumentals of all time. Every time I hear it, because we've ended as lovers by Jeff Beck, I just like, I start, okay, I'm not crying. <laughs> but he's the, one of the few guitarists that plays beautifully, if you know what I mean. Like he has this hard edge image as being a real tough guy and hard to get along with. And, and then he can play guitar just, that'll just, if it doesn't make you cry, then there's something wrong with you. Because he can, he can play fast, he can play jazz, he can play blues, he can play um, uh, rockabilly, as he does on some records, he can play hard rock. But he reminds me of Miles Davis, and Miles Davis can play really fast, and he can play incredible, and he could lead all these Dark Magus-type bands, you know, that play really funky and crazy. Hardcore. And then Miles Davis can play My Funny Valentine and just destroy you with his beautiful lyrical playing. That reminds me of Jeff Beck, is that he can play something so crazy, and then he can play Because We've Ended As Lovers and just destroy you with his beautiful playing. He is one of my favorite guitarists of all time. Uh, I'll, I'll be frank with you. My favorite guitarist of all time is Jimmy Page. A lot of that has to do with Jimmy being such a great rhythm player, which I am, and I love playing rhythm, and how he can intertwine the two like I've never yeah. heard anybody do, as much as rhythm and lead guitar. And I love uh, Eric Clapton, but 
Eric has changed over the years. Eric can, Eric can play like anything, but he also can be very lazy. And I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying if I had to compare the three, Jimmy Page is my top. But Jeff Beck doesn't get hurt enough, for one thing. And if people really delved into his stuff, he plays, he can make that thing cry. He can make that thing moan. He can do things that I don't think Jimmy Page and, and Eric Clapton can do with the guitar. He is the guitar. And he's, yeah. he's like one of those those ancient and mythical Greek gods, half man, half guitar. Yeah. <laughs> that reminds me of Hendrix too. Like Hendrix sleeping with the guitar and playing it like yeah. 23 hours a day. Hendrix, you thought the, the guitar was attached to him like it was just an extension of his body. Yeah, exactly. He did. He did. And that's what people say about him too. It was like, oh, geez, when I watched Hendrix play the guitar, it was like he was the guitar. And... Uh, Jepek was an innovator, not only in the sounds of, but just the way he played, because he just seemed like Hendrix to be an extension of the guitar, like nobody else was. Um, just, just him and Hendrix and Clapton. He get up and play the guitar, and Jimmy Page. He would get up and and play, and you knew he was playing the guitar, and they were playing it masterfully. And I, I, I remember watching the song remains the same and over and over again and watching Jimmy Page's fingers and wondering how he did. I, I just don't know. And I'm just talking about like sections, let alone two and a half hours worth of movie. I'm going like, I don't know how he played that 10, 10 second section and then how he went into that other 20 second section. I'm like, I don't know how he did that. And I don't know how Jeff Beck ever made the guitar sound the way he made it sound. Uh, it was a big loss. It didn't hit me till I got home. Uh, I just wasn't just wasn't in the mood to hear it. Actually, to be honest with you, um, but uh, you lose a legend like that, and especially being a guitar player, uh, he wasn't much of a rhythm guitar player. But there was very few. Like he didn't have to play fast like Clapton, but it was the sounds he made. It's the motion that he made when he would bend the string. Oh, yeah, that yeah. Um, accent of your voice. That's yes, the thing that makes you unique. Your yeah. So leading to that, we're also going to do I th in the memoriam that is going to be after this theme that we're doing. Uh, we also lost a legend here in Canada. We just recently lost Ian Tyson, oh, who yeah. who is just uh, Ian and Sylvia, mm -hmm. who is just uh, just as right in the same category as Gordon Lightfoot here in this country. Very big influence. I remember as a kid watching, uh, very young. I have very little memories of it, but I do have memories. He had his own TV show in the 73, 74, something like that on our TV stations here. And uh, my parents watched it all the time. They loved Ian Tyson because he was so cool. And, and I remember I told my mom, I said, oh, did you hear that Ian Tyson died? And she was like, yes, I heard. Oh, I loved him so much. <laughs> and uh, I knew she would take it hard. And I just loved how Ian, Ian was such a personification of Canada. I, I don't you know. I can't explain why. He just was. He was like a cowboy. And yet he started out with Ian and Sylvia. And everybody in Canada loved Ian and Sylvia, you know. And I started off as a folk duo. And then he, when he went solo, he went into country. And then he went into now a lot of people would call country cowboy music but it's not uh he would he went into cowboy music which is actually music that has country music but actually talks about cowboys 
and talks about the prairie life and talks about you know being on your acreage or your farm being on the range being on the range that's cowboy music uh, I know my dad used to say, oh, cowboy music. But what he meant was country music. A lot of people do, but that's not really cowboy music. And then he started in the 80s playing cowboy music and it got a whole new following, especially here in Canada. So we're going we're gonna to do a... Uh, oh, and he had... Ian and Sylvia had one of the very first country and rock, rock albums that not a lot of people recognize. The people in the know. <laughs> you know, you read the critics and they go, oh, yeah, you know. They had one of the first country uh, albums with uh, The Great Speckled Bird, both the album title and the band uh, that they named The Great Speckled Bird in 1968. Right up there with The the Birds doing Sweetheart of the Rodeo and uh, Dylan's Nashville Skyline and all that. They were there right at the start. And Ian, and, and, and Ian Tyson wrote our second national anthem, which is uh, Four Strong Winds. I always I always remember somebody who said once that if you ever forgot the words to uh, O Canada, you could always just sing Four Strong Winds, <laughs> strong winds yeah. and that would be good enough. <laughs> so it was a big miss here. And then uh, there's another person I can't remember at the moment that I want to put in the memoriam. But I thought it was time. We haven't really done that in a while. Yeah. I heard passed away. I don't remember knowing his name, but the lead singer for the specials. Uh... Yes. Um, Do you know his name? I do know his name. I don't have it on the tip of my tongue. You kind of brought that out me. You threw that at me, yeah, and I, I don't. Uh, so, to all you specials fans, I'm sorry, but I always loved, always loved the song "Message to You, Rudy," <laughs> and a great ska band. And uh, I know very just like Ian Tyson for Canada, uh, the outpouring of that for for him in England, where they were very popular. Was was it was quite devastating to them, so uh, we just I just wanted to bring you up on that. I, I I thought it would be remiss to have two people like Ian Tyson and and Jeff Beck pass away within a, a week or two of each other, and and not to bring it up because uh, it has I, to be I, done. Damn it! It has to be done, and 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 not gonna do it. Well, there have been people that I could have commented on that I just we just didn't. I, because I always know there's going to be a flood of them coming, and it's not a pleasant thing to do to talk about somebody who's past that that you admire. Uh, so, but anyways, we're going to do Wired in a couple of weeks when we're done with this, and we're going to do an Ian Tyson album, and uh, some I forgot the name of the other person that was important that that had passed away. There's there's so many almost weekly. It'll come back to you about uh, 15 minutes from now. Oh, it will. When the show's <laughs> over. i got to completely cut out my whole segment. Um, which, by the way, is the second time in two shows that I've had to cut out this segment. You know, it's not a problem with us or the writing. It's a problem with time. Time is wrong. We, you know, if we're going to talk about something, we talk about it. It's not scripted. And yeah. uh, sometimes we don't have anything to say about something. Sometimes we get passionate and... Uh, Hey, if we don't get to something, we'll just do it next week. And if we don't get into that, we'll eventually do it. <laughs> I never, I've never actually said, well, we're never going to do that because we keep on missing it. Well, I always get to it. But uh, when we have something to say, I want to make sure that we exhaust it until we feel like we have to move on. And I think we have, which means I don't want to get into the next one because the next thing uh, is a very long segment, which we will do next week. Uh, today we are going to review the 1978 album 
Weekend in L.A. I don't know how much I have to say about this album, though. We could be early today. <laughs> and then again, I could be surprised. But we are going to review the 1978 album Weekend. And I didn't mean that. I, I hope I, I didn't mean that as a, a put down. It's just that we're not. We can't talk about jazz like we can a lot of other musical forms. Yes, we're not, I, I got yeah. a few points to make, and uh, but it's 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 an ethereal thing. At the... Yeah, it's 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 hard to talk about. A jazz is it's hard music to talk about, especially when you're not as versed as some jazz critics are. Uh, the album is "Welcome to L.A.", a double album, a double live album by acclaimed jazz and R&B guitarist George Benson. Uh, Rob thought at first that we were doing the uh, the guy from Soap, George Benson, played by uh, Robert Guillaume. He didn't know that Robert Guillaume had made a record, and I say, no, 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 not that Benson. <laughs> I know George Benson from um, uh, college. There was one guy I was playing with, and he was a fan. And uh, I remember the the thing he did when he was soloing is he'd uh, sing along with the solo. Oh, I love that. Was, he does that on, on Broadway on this. Yes. I love that. Yeah, and there's one other song he does that on, at least I know, uh, but I don't remember which one. And to me, as a guitar, but I'm not a lead guitarist. Uh, you know, I play it, but I don't, I'm not a big fan of it. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going on the guitar. So that is such a gift, Rob, to be, to play a note and just know what you're playing and then to yeah. mimic it. That's like uh, you've got this music thing down as a language in your head, and you can do it as easily as you speak, and uh, yes. it's coming out through your fingers. It's that's 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 brilliance. I'm sorry, but that that alone makes George Benson brilliant because I can do that, but I, I can do it badly. <laughs> oh, can you? <laughs> yes, really, I can do it very badly. I, I love I Maybe love like anybody. I, I'm, I know there are people that do that. Uh, I'm trying to think of people other than George Benson, but George Benson has always amazed me for it because he does that and I know there are other people I just can't remember but but when he does that, especially because on Broadway used to be played all the time in 1978 it was a single used to be played on FM and AM and it would do and I just just as a note is being played and I just like I don't know where I'm going with my notes when I play yeah. lead but yep. but they do they know exactly what, what notes they are playing wow yes he's actually thinking of all the notes um, uh, before playing them there's times when I'm soloing where uh I do that, but there's other times where I'm soloing where I don't know where I'm going and I just let my fingers do well, the Well, that's, that's true for me, too. I know kind of where I'm going, but then I, I want to go to some place that I don't know what, how this is going to turn out <laughs> when I go to this key, but, you know, I still do it, and it may sound terrible, but I guess when you're in a concert type of thing, you, you have to be a little bit more uh, safe. Yeah, 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 and and no, stay especially in the same key. Yeah. when you're recording a double live album, yes. all at one venue. <laughs> I just want to say that this is not just a double live album. Uh, of course, by the title, it was recorded in the great uh, Roxy uh, Club nightclub in Los Angeles. Uh, if you've ever seen it, it's really small on TV. Uh, I know that when Rolling Stone did their 10th anniversary special. Uh, in 1977, about the time of this, actually, when this was recorded, they recorded Bette Midler for the Rolling Stone 10th anniversary special. I remember watching it as an 11-year-old, and it was so small, and you got Bette Midler with this big band. and I mean, it was small. I mean, it was like a couple hundred people and a small stage, and yet, 
so when you think it sounds like the loud sounds loud i don't mean music's loud but i mean the crowd sounds like there's like sounds like there's like five thousand people there because the crowd is loud and the crowd is great on this album and but uh you think it's like a a the place crowd. that has at least a thousand people, but there's only probably 150, 200 people. Yeah, there. I was noticing this in the Crown Sounds. They sound a little more respectful. Yes, than the usual stadium. Yes, it is. It is more of an industry crowd because the industry guys is that was known as their watering hole. And, okay. Uh, yeah. So it is more of an industry crowd, but there is also. I don't know. I just love. I love albums that have an ambience like Frampton Comes Alive and this album. And yeah. I knew this. Yeah, I just love albums that have that. That's the, the one. This one reminded me on the length of some of the solos there, where they uh, get carried away and uh, keep going, which is not a normally it would be, but it's not in this case because he comes up with the with the interesting stuff that keeps you listening. Yeah, his playing well, is we're not interesting. Gonna, we're not going to get too into it yet. Not yet. <laughs> I know. But you do. You do make a very good point. Uh, remember that in about 10 minutes. <laughs> I got it written down. Uh, George Benson uh, is uh, a singer and songwriter, which we'll get to in a, in a, in a minute. Uh, he actually began his professional career at the age of 19, which would have been 1962, as a jazz guitarist. He was a, a child prodigy on the guitar, uh, which shows you why he's so good on the guitar. A lot of child prodigies don't at least in, in music, don't really get too far. In classical music, you know, you play the violin or the piano and you get to, nobody knows who you are, but you get to play all these, you know. Yeah, and a lot of uh, those people are playing because they're kids and uh, it's a bit of a novelty. And, uh, oh. and they play, <laughs> man, you know child prodigies. They play like, like they've been playing 6,000 years. I mean, they just play like they know what yeah, they're doing I all the time. I see them and I think, uh, I don't like their parents. <laughs> I don't like their parents one bit. Uh, he launched, uh, George Benson launched a solo career, uh, alternating between jazz and pop and R&B singing and scat singing. Scat singing is where he goes, <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> Which sounds bad when we do it, but when he do it, it actually sounds good. <laughs> the reality of it, yes, it does sound bad. When we do it, yes. <laughs> now, he made many, many albums, but he really broke through and, and I remember this album. Uh, this is when I started listening to music seriously. Was his Breezin album? Uh, I still hear Breezin all the time on the radio. Da 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 da. Very kind of uh, middle of the road, but very catchy. And that actually hit number one in the Billboard album chart in 1976, and was triple platinum. And everybody who wasn't a jazz and R&B fan had that. That's when people crossed over a lot of time. And if, if an album was good, they still bought it. Yeah, you know, if an album was good, as jazz, I don't care. It sounds good when I hear it on the radio. And he also had a hit with Leon Russell's "This Masquerade" from that album, which I know was huge. The album alone was just huge. I just remember being on the charts for like two years when albums could be on the charts for like two years straight. And uh, he's won a lot of Grammy awards for his instrumentals. Uh, the funny thing is with George Benson is that I find him to be a very, very good singer. And yet, uh, he was discouraged by his record company and other people not to sing for a long time. In fact, most of his early albums yeah. were instrumental albums, and he didn't really start singing until the mid till the mid seventies. And I, I think that that's a, a shame because I really like his voice. I think he has he has yeah. a voice that is not overpowering, 
as far as it 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 takes away from the musicians playing, but it's strong enough that it carries the song and gets the message across. It is across. strong and it is soulful. It's, it's a, very soulful. I, I found that very fascinating that, uh, that that many people could be wrong about that one thing. I can't believe that if you heard his voice, you would say, don't sing. Yeah. <laughs> fascinating. It's probably just, well, you know, the, the guitar is your thing. You stick with that. Very soulful. Be safe. And uh, I'm going to bring up uh, a point a little bit later on about why I like his vocals and somebody else's vocals who is noted as an amazing singer that I don't and the reasons why. There is a there is a thing called, uh, I'm going to get into that in another episode too, about singing and, and vocalizing, which are two different things. You can be a good, you can sing a song really good or you could have a good voice. There's a difference between having a good voice and being able to sing. Yeah. Sing is getting is is and we've talked about if this you're singing, a couple of times on this show. You got to sell the song. You got to sell the song. Oh, we're going to we're going to do uh everybody's in an uproar about this. Which people shouldn't get an uproar about lists, but every everybody's in an uproar about the Rolling Stone top 200 vocalists of all time because they actually they actually protested I know I'm getting off the subject, but it's kind of important. It leads to what I'm talking about. People were protesting in front of the Rolling Stone offices last week because all of these Celine Dion fans, because she wasn't on the list. And she's not on the list because she has a great voice. But it's a difference between a great voice and a, a, a person who can hit you up with this. And it's all taste, too. Like she's not. I don't think she's a singer. Like every, I don't get emotionally drawn at anything she sings. I'm sorry. Maybe that's just my taste. And it's also taste. People shouldn't take a list so seriously because it's just a bunch of people who decide that it's a list. As I've said before, that you use as a guide, and then you listen to stuff maybe you hadn't listened to, but you don't say, "Oh, well, they said it's number one, so this singer must be number one." I just wrapped my head around. People actually going out and protesting this. I know. It's like it's just people's opinions. And maybe they would protest you saying Celine Dion is the number one singer of all this time. This is a thing that's wrong in society and has to be changed. Get the signs out. We're going marching. I know. It's like it's ridiculous. You know, and and oh, when I was Jesus. growing up uh and learning music, uh lists were important because uh it set a guideline of, oh, I should listen to that album. They have it in their top 50. But I never said, oh, because it's number 24. That's got to be the 24th greatest album of all time. No, it's just that it led me to avenues that I might not have went to because of the yes, list. Yes, because, yeah. uh, you know, you read a list and uh, 80% of those names you might know, but 20% you don't. And you're wondering, okay, well, why is this guy there? How come I never heard of him? Yeah, this joker, you would say. Who, who is this Carol King? <laughs> Best I know you said album that. Of all you time. said that many times. I remember. Yeah, <laughs> best-selling album of all time. When I said, what when the? I said to you, we're going to do Carol King's Tapestry, and you said to me, "Who is this Carol King you speak of?" <laughs> well, I don't know. She sold forty million copies of Tapestry, so I don't know. You know, in those sixty <laughs> songbooks, they'd have big sections, and they'd organize them by the songwriters. And they'd have that whole big section that uh, was um, uh, King Goffin. Yeah, that was her. Yeah, that was her. Yeah, all those sixty songs that were in the top forty. Yeah, okay. Um, so to this album, which is uh, the second album 
after Breezin. He had her album in 1977 called Rob. In 77? No, I, you know, I saw it and then I uh, didn't remember In Flight. It. I had it right here and I was like, In yeah, Flight I wouldn't have guessed from that. 1977, which did okay, which did okay. But this was, he was really at the peak. Uh, he could, this was, Breezin was so much of a strong album that it was almost made like the mediocrity of In Flight okay. And then he released this, and this is a live album, but this is more of a jazz live album where jazz people would release a live album but without tunes that people would know, like new tunes, uh, which is a common thing in jazz. Uh, it's not done much at all in popular music. But every song but one is a, is a song that he has released before. Uh, Ode to Kudu. Ode to Kudu is a song that was on a 1971 album of his. But other than that, all these songs had never been released before, except The Greatest Love of All was on the greatest soundtrack, the Muhammad Ali movie, that year. But basically, it was it was a new song, too. Um, so he recorded this in a weekend, and it's interesting because it's recorded in the Roxy for a reason, because he's not doing the hits, and it's like, people, do you understand? He's going to be here all weekend. But he's going to be performing new songs. It's kind of like that type of thing, okay? So, because I looked up his set list at that time, and it has nothing to do with this. This is just this weekend that he's performing this album. It's kind of like we had to perform this album on the weekend. And by the way, we're performing it live on in front of a crowd type of thing. You know what I mean? Instead of in the studio. So, uh, people were probably informed of that before they went, that this is going to be all new songs. Anyways... The album starts out uh, with a song I really like. And I don't want to get into every song here, but I really like the the instrument. Half the songs, by the way, are instrumental. Half yeah. the songs are sung. And Weekend in L.A., the title song is really catchy. And it's it reminds me of Breezin, the song off the album Breezin. Uh, it's very catchy. It's, what I noticed from this album is that most of the songs are long. There's two things I noticed. Most of the songs are long, like five, six, seven minutes long, but all of a sudden they end. <laughs> They're not like some jazz albums where I'm going like, oh, it's a lot of soloing, and when does this thing end uh, type of thing? Yeah, you're not uh, waiting for it to end. Right. Yeah, exactly. I know what you mean. There's a, the, the, uh, there's I jazz. found this album, ex excuse the, the metaphor for breezing it, but it's just breezed by. I'm serious. This is a double album at almost 70 minutes long. And when I first listened to it, I was going, and I find it hard to listen in one day. I'll, I do it, but I find it hard to listen to double albums in one day. I like it, or at least I like to take a break. I shouldn't say that. I like to take a break like between record one and record two and yeah. maybe maybe do something for 15 minutes and then go back to side to album two but on this one i just listened to the whole thing it just it just went fast and the seven minute songs and six minute songs did not seem like seven minute songs and six minute songs they just seemed to just go really fast and a good example of that is the first song weekend in la which reminds me of a three minute hit single except it's seven minutes long but i still think it's like three and a half minutes long <laughs> Yeah, there's solo parts on other albums where, you know, they could be this long and I'd be thinking, uh, when will this end? This is, you know, going on a bit long and I never had that feeling on any of this. 
Yeah, I agree. With the I songs agree. being this long. This Everything song. flowed very nicely. And it has a feel to it. He's got a top-notch band behind him. Yeah, he does. He just does. a <laughs> top-notch band behind him. And this album is engineered. It just sounds marvelous. It just sounds... This is one of the best sounding live albums I've ever heard. Everything is clear. Even the audience is clear. Even the audience <laughs> is clear. It really is. Even the audience is is mixed just right in there, and it's a it's a brilliant recording job. And uh, I was I don't know I was just like every song was like, and it's not cocktail jazz because that's a, a a very detrimental term to me. It is just. It's just kind of rhythm and blues type of jazz. It's not your jazz where it's like four acoustic instruments and they're wailing away. There's a lot of melody involved. Yeah. There's a I lot of structure. Playing, you know, he can, they will be playing a line uh, up and down and then uh, they play a few chords. And it's incredibly tasteful, imaginative. Uh, it, it's not boring. It's not boring at all. It, it doesn't have that quality of... Uh, I rarely listen to an album that's 70 minutes long or a double yeah, album. And I, that, that, really, that I actually wanted more after it was done. I was going, like, wow, I, I, could, <laughs> I, could, I could listen to this again. <laughs> Did you get that feeling? Did you put this, like start listening to this and say, you know what, I could listen to this whole thing easy after a while, after about halfway through. Like, I don't really want this to stop. <laughs> you know, after the first listen or two listens, I didn't uh, put that much in. I found myself wandering away from it. But after the third or fourth... Uh, <sighs> Yeah, I put it on and keep it on the whole time. And, and I was thinking about that as usually, you know, uh, you know, this as a listening experience in 1978 would be a, an album that you're putting on one side at a time. So when you're going to ever get two or three songs at a time, mm-hmm. you can never get too much. And I was worried, yeah, this is going to be too much George. But it was not. No, it was not. It was not too That's, much That's, I think, the biggest thing that we got out of this is that uh, for a double album, we could have actually had more. Yeah, yeah, we could have, and we'd be remiss uh, not to obviously not to talk about uh, on Broadway, which is the huge single off of this, and uh, of course it goes. Dum, dum. I can't get it out of my head anymore. Even when I was a kid, and I heard this, dum, dum, dum. and even the it's a ten minute song on here, and even I looked it up the single, which I used to hear on the radio all the time because it was played all the time. Uh, was five minutes. It's funny how they edited it to five minutes and it's, it still seems like long. And uh, I love everything about this. On Broadway is a great song anyways by the Drifters. Yeah. And the Drifters may be the definitive version, but this is the version I will always remember just because it, it has that catchy little... And it just seems to build and build and he sings it really good. And then he does the... scat. There's a couple of parts. He does the scat singing... Which is so cool, and then with the with the playing and the, and then they, it does. I love that. I can't get it out of my head. That little that little synthesizer going. <laughs> Sounds aggravating when I do it. I I know, but when you hear it, it's like really cool. Is these little things in the song that never get you bored. You yeah. know what I mean? Like they put that little synthesizer. Yeah, just going, yeah. but also in the background, the way with the, the you know, even after two, three, four minutes of playing, the strings start building yes. up. Yes. I don't know if they had a cue or if they timed that. I I, I have no idea. But then suddenly uh, things were being added. Uh, but it was it had to be organized things. Oh, it was yeah. not 
random, oh, I think I'm going to put this here. It's definitely organized. And that's what the brilliance of this of this is. And again, the 10 minutes goes by because I have heard the 10 minute version. I used to play it on FM all the time. <laughs> and I used to want them to play the 10 minute version because it just, it just kicks. And then there's some things in a 10 minute version that are not in the edited AM version. Yeah, they got the Georgia solo. And yeah, they got a keyboard solo and even a bit of a drum solo at the end. I love the drum solo at the end too. And, and, and it, you think it's going to end kind of like on the drum going, yeah. doo, doo, doo. but then it goes back into it just one more time. <laughs> that reminded me of us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How many times? Because uh, there, there's a few songs where it sounds like it ends and it comes back in. And it comes <laughs> back in just for like 15 seconds to kind of like uh, reprise it back into yeah. the end of the song, which I thought was really good. And uh, I just, uh, yeah, I just, I just, I just think it's think it's great. There's just like Rob said, with the strings coming in all of a sudden after seven minutes, and you go, you know, there's nothing to bore you about this song. And the audience is such a huge part of this song; they're just loving it. <laughs> yeah, they're loving all of because there are quiet yeah, parts. Yeah, of the song. that's when they, they'll, they'll come down after a solo, and then the audience all claps. And then I'm thinking, oh, that was great. They must be queuing. That's like a signal to end. <laughs> Oh no, we're going back into it. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like the audience are just going nuts over this thing. And that's what that ambience brings so much to this song. And uh, I wanted to point out, I definitely wanted to point out they do. Uh, George was the original person to sing The Greatest Love of All. A lot of people might remember this by Whitney Houston. Whitney Houston, that's where I first heard it was they did on a commercial there with starving children somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the video or whatever. Yeah. Anyways, I, uh, I, I, I can't, I can't, <laughs> I have bad mojo about this song because yeah. of that. Because Whitney, I'm sorry, anybody who's a big Whitney fan, she has a fabulous voice, but I can't stand her singing. I just think she over-remotes. I just, there's so many things that I don't like about her singing. That's personal, okay? She also, um, uh, did, she got, uh, what did, her over-emoting spread to other singers. And then they started trying yes. to sound like her. What I like to call vocal gymnastics, which I'm not the first person to call that. Uh, but I like to use that term. It's, it's, it, it's just, but her big thing is over-emoting. It's just like when you hear this song, it's like, uh, like she did with Dolly Parton's I Will Always Love You, where she just held the note and it just gave you a headache. And I know that's, that may sound cruel to people, but for me it does. And uh, I know it's great vocalizing, but it's not great singing to me. And then I hear this version, which I haven't heard since I think I saw the movie when I was like 13. I remember seeing The Greatest by Muhammad Ali. And this was the song playing at the end when the credits were rolling. And I said, oh, it's a great song, which George was singing in the movie. And then I hear this version and I'm going... Wow, he captured, he made me love this song like I haven't in 45 years since I saw the movie. Because I really did dislike this song. I disliked the lyrics of it. When Whitney Houston sang it, I disliked everything about it because I don't think she got the, what this song was about at all. But him singing it and, and getting and using some soul and some, some grit into it without getting too over emotional and if you think of it as a song about muhammad ali it really hits you and it has a great message about you know the greatest love of all is is if you can love yourself it's not schmaltzy i always thought it was schmaltzy when schmaltzy, used to exactly do it. <laughs> that's, why I did, that's why i uh really didn't like uh 
the Whitney Houston version is just it was way too syrupy for me. Yes, it was too sweet. It was oh. trying to get you to. It was almost like you had to had to get your diabetes checked. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> that's too far. It was too yeah, far. Just, there's a this way to reach perfect. people, and uh, that was just. That's weird. a good word because this song reaches me now. Yeah, this song reached I, me big time. I still not a fan of it, but this one didn't bug me as much as the uh, the other version. I actually am a big fan of it. I actually I actually went in total opposites. I actually went from despising this song really because of her version, despising it, to going back to how I originally thought, which was I really like. Yeah, there may be some lines that maybe uh, whatever. I just love his singing on this because when he gets to the part where he builds up the lyrics and it goes and then it gets higher and higher you can feel the emotion it's actual emotion and it really it, it affects me a lot and i just loved it i thought it was a great version and i think it's the version that people remember should remember they won't they'll always remember the whitney version but uh that's what you call like killing a song <laughs> <laughs> totally killing a song and you know what we talked about celine dion she can do that too and I'm sorry, but if a singer does that to you, she's not a very good uh, singer. She's yeah. a good vocalist, but she's not a good singer. And there's other people who appreciate that. I am not among them. Yes. Uh, the, the song before that, California PM, I like that one. Yeah, that's a great <laughs> instrumental. I, as good as Weekend in LA, but more of a PM type of California. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of that, that funky futuristic uh, keyboard sound yeah. that uh, was kind of new at the time. Uh, I, I formed a general rule about that point on the album that uh, the faster the song is on this album, the more I enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, it is. You know, it's it's fast it's, in a funky way, but it's also melodic. It's a generalization. but the, There are not people going off in wild directions on this. No, album. it's really precise It's playing. very precise playing. And uh, I remember the, 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 the Jeff Beck doing uh, Blow by Blow. Oh, uh, the song, you know. Fast, I, precise. Exactly. And uh, the song that I loved the most was actually the last one because it was really uh, We As Love, which is an instrumental written by the keyboardist, Ronnie Foster. I actually thought it reminded me of Jeff Beck. It's one of those slow kind of Jeff Beck things. And, and George just plays these really, just the notes like, and um, I like that. Like It's like something Jeff Beck would do where you don't try and overpower people with with the playing you want to overpower them with the beauty of the melody and that's what he does on we as love i thought it was a perfect ending for the album i thought it was a beautiful song uh and uh yeah you know there's not everything kind of falls into that category like there's nothing other than like on broadway and weekend la and uh, california pm nothing really stands out all that much it's a it's a whole thing it's a whole thing. Yes. And it, it, the one thing I do also appreciate about the whole thing, the, the album, is that he keeps it, he he varies it a bit. It doesn't all sound like, uh, it doesn't all sound the same. No. That's it. Another the thing is. is and the, the, the timings are varied enough that. Exactly. Uh, it is. A, it is. It is. An, and maybe I, I didn't even think about that because I wasn't going to mention it. But now when you say it, I agree with it. I don't even think I thought about it before because I think it was more subliminal. Fast rocking songs. Yes. Or, and, and it goes from uh, sometimes you got two short instrumentals in a row and then one. Uh, long vocal song. It just blends really good. Yeah. 
Like it seems like it's a natural yeah. for this song to follow that song yeah, he, to follow that song. It works out really great as an album. If this was like uh, the way he recorded the songs in order and the show, then the, the, wow, he did an exceptional job. I heard that he did. I checked the set list, and you don't know if they copied the set list from the album titles, right? Or if that was actually the way they were played. But if he did, like you said, if he did do it like this, it was a brilliant selection of yep. of, of a show. Because I'm telling you, if I was at this show, I would have went out of there just gushing <laughs> with compliments. I was thinking about <laughs> him on Broadway now. He's got a, the second song. It's like a 10-minute song of big, long uh, jams. But... That's about the point in the show when you're coming on where, uh, uh, you know, you've done your first song, but you want to kind of get warmed up. And that is the perfect song to get your hands warmed up and get your voice and warmed up. And he did warmed. after this album was released. That was his encore song. Um, was it his encore or the final song? Final I can't song remember. Final song before the encore, I think. Okay. Yeah. And a good placement there. Yeah. It can be good at the beginning. And it could be good right as the last yeah, song to I'm get the crowd going. I was just looking at it from the point of view of a musician. It's good at the beginning for having something to... Yeah. Everyone gets a chance to get their chops warmed up. And then you sound good for the whole rest of the night. Exactly. A great set list. And uh, and you have to remember, he didn't have greatest hits to pick from. This was all this was all new songs for him. <laughs> Whether he wrote it or not, this was all songs he had never played yeah, before except weird. for that's one. That's kind of adventurous. It uh, is very adventurous. It's very <laughs> risky. And... And it makes me love the album even more for because I did not know that before I listened to it. It was a big album when it was released. Uh, it sold a lot. I think it made it to number four on the charts. I'd have to I'd have to check. Uh, but it was uh, it was it was a platinum. It went platinum, which is not easy to. Oh, it went to number five. That's incredible to do for a jazz R and B album in 1978 to go to number five on the Billboard 200 charts. Very went to number one on the R and B charts. This album did very well. I remember when it was released, it did very well. And it deserved it. And this was this peak. Uh, after this, you know, he had his peak from like 76 to 78, as far as George Benson was on the radio all the time. And then he kind of went into his, you know what? Uh, I don't know if I like fame all that much. I'm just going to release albums and see how they do. I don't mean that he intentionally meant his albums to be commercial all i'm saying is that he promoted them very heavily and he started not to sometimes when you get too popular you you kind of lose the focus of of what you're doing and he may have after this album became huge again kind of said i don't want to be that popular <laughs> I, let's just release the albums let's see how they do which is what jazz artists do because they don't sell that many arts. copies. They yeah. just release them and just hope what's they the, What's sell. the point of promoting? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And uh, here he was doing a, a lot of promoting and uh, a lot of the, the record company did a lot of promoting in the magazines and stuff. And uh, it kind of died after this. And he became, but nobody can forget George Benson because of this three-year run of being at the top of the charts because of that. Uh, I give this four stars. I think it's a solid, solid four stars. I was very surprised. Not not that I thought it was a bad album, but it's a double album of of, yeah, of jazz R and B. You thought it was going to lose you halfway exactly. through, exactly, and yet it flowed beautifully. I can't tell you that I have nothing bad really to say about any of these songs. Like. Uh, they were all really well done. They were well recorded. They all had a great feel to them. Uh, I can't. Ditto. <laughs> like I said, they're varied enough to keep you interested. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, it doesn't blow you away. It's not. It's not like this kind of laid back jazz R and B. It's also not necessarily meant to blow you out of the water and you give it five stars, um, which is why I'm not giving it five stars. But it is so solid, and it is so uh, like you like all the adjectives you used were perfect. That I have to give it at least four because, uh, but it isn't the type of album that I would ever, uh, unless there was some really big songs like on Broadway in there, like all the way through it, I could never give it five stars because it's more of a mood than it is for yeah. musical excellence. Yeah, it is. Like I say, it, there, it's there's no flaws anywhere. I give it a four as well. Uh, it is, you know, a bunch of it's not my kind of music, but. He's just such a good imaginative playing. That's what you focus on, or that's what I focus on, rather than... Uh... Well, I was right again, because I, I play this little game with myself every What's week. What's he going to give? What does Rob think of the album? And I picked <laughs> that Rob would think of the album just like I did, because I think I know Rob really well. A lot of times, he, 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 he does fool me. He really does. A lot of times I've been really fooled, but not too many. I would say 80% of the time I pick exactly the way that you say that the album's going to be. I, I guess that tells us how much we know each other, but it also tells, I really, I think it tells me how much I know about the music that you listen to. And after like, the first couple of listens, I was kind of like, uh, I could take it or leave it. Like it was after about four or five listens that, uh, you know what? I realized, you know, this is actually kind of good. This is actually, strangely enough, one of the few albums that I've listened to that I loved on first listen. Okay. Yeah. You know? That was maybe the only difference we have about this album is that it took you a few listens, but I got into it right away. Right away. It, I listened to the whole thing and I said, this is a four-star record. And it and subsequent listens didn't change anything. I listened to it the third and fourth time like I did the first time. <laughs> so that doesn't happen too often. But uh, I thought that's the only thing I got mistaken. I thought you would have the same attitude, but it did take you a couple listens. Yes, it did. I was kind of like uh, probably to the second listen thinking, uh, well, I, I guess I got to listen to it again. Uh, okay, I'll put it on. It's not too bad. It's just there's nothing attracting me right now. This would be interesting. Uh, I didn't expect. Uh, I, I mean, I expected that. But now... Um. It makes me think that you're going to like all the jazz albums in our jazz gat, uh, guitarist category. No, because the, <laughs> the jazz fusion one was uh, that was that was some contrast there, and uh, and I do have one thing to say about this album, um, which is not a criticism; it's just a taste. Uh, his uh, actual guitar sound, I, uh, I was not it. as much of a fan of that uh, subdued uh, acoustic-y kind of. Uh, oh, really? I love this guitar yeah. sound. For the type of music he was playing and the background that he had, I actually thought it was perfect. That's what made it so um, it's strange because that's what made it so perfect for me. For me, it was a bit subdued for my taste. For your taste, yeah, yeah. I can understand. I mean, that Imagine. usually that usually is subdued for my taste too. But it's so good in the context it. of what he's playing, I thought it was perfect. I thought you couldn't get a better guitar sound. So we differ on that. I think that has a uh, yeah, and as I mentioned before, that's 100% taste. 
Yeah, just a, that's just a taste of your guitar sound. But it, again, that's not my favorite guitar sound, but it's just blended with the music. Everything is so craftsmanship. And I don't mean like wooden, like everything has to be like this, but everything is thought out. Except unlike other jazz sometimes where it's like, okay, you start it and then wherever you go, we'll follow you. This is not like that. No. This is heavily uh, crafted uh, from the guitar sound to, you know, where the keyboards come in and it has to play a certain yeah. thing. And yet there is still some amount of improvisation, which makes it a perfect album to listen to if you're not a hardcore jazz fan. And I thought that these guys had a perfect balance of, of uh, sound volumes. I did too. I just You could it. hear what was meant to be heard at the time. Yeah. And, oh, I know. It was, it's one of the, this, this album is stunningly engineered. Yeah. <laughs> Stunning. It just sounds wow. fantastic. Um, so we both give it four, and we differ a little bit on one or two things, but mostly we say, hey, even if you're not a jazz fan, I think you're going to like this album. You know? Yeah. I, you're not going to not like it. Oh, I didn't get that. <laughs> <laughs> if I got to think about what you said, then I'm not going to bother thinking about it. Don't. It's near the end of the show. It's late. You know, I didn't say think we. This is where I'm always wrong. I didn't think we'd have much to say about it, and we ended up talking about this album for 38 minutes. <laughs> Good albums and interesting albums always make you want to talk about things, about the little little delicacies yeah. in it. I was surprised for two things. I was expecting it to be an all instrumental album. I didn't realize he was singing on it, and he sings half the songs. And there was one other thing that kind of blew me away, but I forgot what it is. I don't. I don't think just like you. I don't think you expected so much craftsmanship. I think you expected. A, I think you expected yeah. a lot more freeform. Playing. I think I was expecting it to be a little looser than it was. Yes, yes, uh, yeah. So did I, and I was pleasantly surprised. Not that it, it's so. It's not okay to be loose and 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 have improvisation. There's a time and a place. But, but there's a time and a place, yeah. and there's an and this wasn't, and uh, this isn't the artist for that. When George Benson solos, you don't need a huge improvisation. He's an amazing guitarist. He's an amazing guitarist. And that's another thing. I have to add this in real quick because uh, I would have kicked myself driving home not saying this, but his fluid guitar playing sometimes gets ignored in the midst of this craftsmanship and songwriting and singing, but his fluid guitar playing never bugs you. No. Never. He picks notes on the guitar and riffs on the guitar and things to play that are enjoyable to listen to. All the time. Like you don't say, oh, this solo is so long because he doesn't make it too long. Seems like he makes it the perfect length and then it'll go into yeah. another part. I don't get the feeling of anything. I mean, as much as there's some stuff that he's uh, actually doing jazz and uh, uh, making it up on the spot, I don't get the feeling of anything uh, wild and... Uh, there's no solos that make me say, jeez, uh, uh, that was really experimental. Oh, yeah, or he went a little bit overboard on that one. Yeah. <laughs> there's nothing that sounds really experimental, although it all sounds really good. And there's some parts that I believe he's clearly, you know, uh, making it up as he goes. But yeah. it doesn't sound like he's fumbling or experimenting. It, uh, it's a sounds... really a, a, a fine line. And he does it very well between playing what is is supposed to be played and improvising and if you can't tell the difference yeah. which I can't <laughs> yes. but I know it's there then that tells you this is a craftsman at work you know what I mean yeah I know some <laughs> of those, those things he was playing uh, he's played before well, I know, don't know that but I very strongly suspect yes. and some of that stuff he was making up and, yeah but, but if you could tell it then you're a better man than me <laughs> 
George Benson, you're good. Yeah, we <laughs> highly recommend this this album. We highly recommend George Benson. Great player, great singer, uh, and he writes some great instrumentals. So uh, you know, and his breezing album also get it uh, at some time. It's also a very great album. That's our show for today. Next week we will be reviewing another album by another jazz guitarist. Which makes Rob giddy with excitement. Oh boy, more <laughs> jazz! Can I can I have some porridge without any sugar on it? <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> you know that in three albums that we're going to do, there's going to be one jazz album which is going to piss one of us off. Because <laughs> jazz, at some point, its purpose is to piss somebody off. Jazz walks the line. <laughs> it does. It walks the line between that's highly enjoyable and. That pisses me off. <laughs> it brings so much anger out in people sometimes. All right. So that's something to look forward to in the next three shows. Next three shows. I hope since it's, uh, you know, the people I have picked, which are three very prominent jazz guitar players, are not really in that avant-garde type of, I mean, uh, jazz guitar in general, which, which only came into existence really. In when jazz went electric, yeah, uh, in the '60s, late '60s. Uh, so it's it's not really a, a form that's very avant-garde and out there. Uh, most of the players, you, you know, are are kind of like George Benson. Maybe some of them a little harder edged. So you don't expect the kind of avant-gardeism that you would in other instruments. But anyways, we don't. We're not. We're not really good on talking about jazz. So maybe we're wrong. Yeah, we don't know nothing. <laughs> Maybe this next album will piss the shit out of us. (laughs) I'm looking forward to being angry, and I hope you're looking forward to hearing my anger. (laughs) So until then, which is next week, uh, take care, everybody, and stay safe.